How many of you all are happy to be in the house of the Lord on this morning? Well, let's go to the word. Turn to Psalm chapter 51, verse 10. It was a part of our scripture on this morning. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. We're going to talk this morning on my notes on a heart transplant. A heart transplant. So let's begin to unpack the word in this way. I was wrestling with myself. I didn't know if this was the word that I should give. And there was another word that was in my heart, you know, but I guess... That is something you do when you're on your way to becoming pastor, amen? There's so much that I believe that the Lord wants to give to you, and sometimes I feel like I got to give it all to you at once. <laughs> but in the Bible, the heart is considered to be the seat of strength. It means mind, soul, spirit or one's entire emotional nature and understanding. The heart in the Bible is also the primary source of such bad behavior as adultery, hatred, lust, mischief, and pride, and rebellion, as well as such neutral or good behavior as desire or doubt or fear or gladness or love or obedience and sorrow, all within the heart. The heart is the organ that is said to have the ability to reason and question and meditate and motivate and think. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord. All of these processes in today's knowledge are now normally associated with one's mind or brain and not the heart. From a modern and biological and medical standpoint, the heart is divine as a hollow, pump-like organ of blood circulation composed mainly of rhythmically contractile, smooth muscle located in the chest between our lungs, slightly to the left, consisting of four chambers, uh, a right atrium that receives blood returning from the body via the superior and inferior venae cavae. It also is made up of a right ventricle that pumps the blood through the pulmonary artery to the lungs for oxygenation, and a left atrium that receives the oxygenated blood via the pulmonary veins and passes it through the mitral valve and the left ventricle that pumps the oxygenated blood via the, 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 via the aorta through the body. <laughs> Amen. I'm just, that's just the notes. <laughs> Nothing spiritual or emotional about it. 
You might not have understood all of that, but you're alive right now because that process is happening inside of each and every one of us at this very second. The heart pumps blood, which is carrying oxygen throughout your body so your body can continue to live and operate. It's working even when you're asleep, even when you are not thinking about it. How many of you thought about the beating of your heart five minutes ago or the beat that your heart just pumped five seconds ago? You weren't thinking about it. But let it skip a couple beats and it will take over your whole awareness. Let's praise the Lord that we have a heartbeat on this morning. <laughs> now, there's about seven organs that we can't live without. And your heart is at the top of that list. If the heart doesn't do what it is supposed to do, then everything else stops abruptly. So you need to take care of your heart. As I've gotten older, they've talked to me more about my blood pressure and my heart. I'm starting to think about all of this in ways that I didn't think about it when I was 18 years old, eating double cheeseburgers at midnight. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. But even though in our modern world we know the difference between the mind and the heart, we still like to refer to the heart as the seat of emotion or the core of a particular subject. We like to get to the heart of the matter. Or sometimes we'll find ourselves dealing with matters of the heart. Some of us even at this moment are dealing with sadness and even walked around in here with a heavy heart. Some of us here have been so hurt in relationships that we can't see how to let ourselves even love again or be vulnerable, all because of a broken heart. Leaders throughout history have tried to find ways to get into the hearts of the people. Or when we see someone that we really want to get close to or that we really like, we'll want to find a way into that special someone's heart. When we meet someone of outstanding character or moral quality or generosity, we like to say that they have a heart of gold. Or every once in a while, we like to say that we need to have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with someone. Or when we were little and we were trying to convince someone that we were telling the truth, we would say, cross my heart, hope to die. <laughs> now, I didn't quite know what that one really meant when I was young, but... It didn't sound too good. <laughs> and when someone who seems too repressed in their emotions or too cerebral will say that they are all 
head and no heart. Or when we want to give deep feeling to what we're going to say, we'll say, now I'm going to speak straight from the heart. Or back in the day when you were dealing with a very tough situation, someone would say, take heart or don't lose heart. Or on the street when we saw a shorter brother who wasn't afraid to fight a bigger guy, we'd say, that dude has a lot of heart. Or I've met some cold-hearted brothers and sisters out there when I was in the world. Probably some cold-hearted brothers and sisters walking around in here right now and that. Oh, just because we in church don't assume that everybody is saved. Amen. We came here again for a heart transplant. <laughs> But as we moved into the latter part of the 20th century, the term follow your heart became a part of pop culture. It means to do what one would really love to do. I decided to follow my heart and take up acting. Or I decided to follow my heart and start my own business. Now, under this context, following your heart speaks to being true to what it is you know your purpose to be. And what a beautiful thing when you finally find out what your purpose is, the world becomes a better place. You spread joy. It becomes a brighter place. But being an actor or starting your own business, as in our examples, are extremely difficult things to pursue. There's no guarantee that you're going to achieve success in either one of these examples when you follow your heart. In fact, most people who try to start a business or getting to the acting field fail. So instead of taking the risk of failure, many people take the safe route or work in a job that they might not like or even hate for the sake of security. Before they know it, they've forsaken their dreams, spending most of their lives in a job that they hate only to realize one day when they are too old that they never followed their purpose. Or in today's popular vernacular, they never followed their heart. And what a sad situation it would be to be towards the end of your life and to see the ghost of what could have been if you had only stepped into your purpose and followed your heart. I'll tell you that I don't want to leave any of it here. I'm going to go to this side to the folks who are saying, I don't want to leave any of it here. I want to get it all out. Whatever God put inside of me, I want to get it all out. But we can't just follow our hearts for the sake of just following our hearts. It was once said by a preacher that I respect greatly that we all have a natural inclination to pull away from God. We're born with it. 
By show of hands, how many parents here taught your children how to ride a bike? Or how many of you here taught your children how to put on their clothes or how to sit at a table and hold the right utensils and utensils and taught them table manners? Now, these are all things that we had to be taught as children and teach our children because it didn't come naturally to them. But how many of us here as parents have to teach, had to teach our babies how to lie? That little baby will say that they did not eat part of that chocolate cake with the icing all over their face. Give the Lord praise if you know what I'm talking about this morning. <laughs> now, the Bible, with that in mind, the Bible has some very distinct things to say about our hearts as human beings. Genesis 6 and 5, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that the every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously, continually. Or Genesis 8 and 21, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now, that doesn't mean that all of our babies and us as babies are just evil. But again, we didn't have to be taught how to lie. Jeremiah 17 and 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Mark 7, verse 21 and 22, from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness. Wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. Don't look at me funny. It's all in the word. We're talking about our hearts. Even Paul, the greatest apostle, spoke of the war that waged within his flesh, his heart. He said in Romans 7, for what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh or in my heart, nothing good dwells. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, in my flesh, in my heart, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. And then he puts a, a pen, he puts a bookmark on it. Oh, wretched man that I am. This is Apostle Paul. 
Apostle Paul, St. Paul. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The dance, the circle, that what I hate to do, I do. And that what I know to be right, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. And then he goes on to say, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, praise the Lord. Thank you all for coming today. Praise the Lord. We can stop it there, but we have so much more to unpack. But there it is. It is something that we all have to deal with. All of us have to deal with. I'm not going to act like I'm not in that number. It does not matter who you are. It does not matter how long you've been in church. It doesn't matter how much you sing, shout, dance, and run up and down the aisle. There is a war going on inside of you. There is a war going on inside of the hearts of each and everyone here. And if you don't think so, you are lying to yourself. You are lying to yourself in your heart. <laughs> now, another definition of follow your heart that has been spoken of in pop culture is to follow your own inner guidance, to dance to the beat of your own drum, so to speak. But under this definition of the term, sometimes it's not such a good idea to follow your heart. Sometimes we as human beings have blamed some of our worst behavior on following our heart like I left my wife and family of 15 years of marriage for my soulmate because I had to follow my heart. It had always perplexed me about Brother Samson. Delilah had betrayed Samson more than two times. And for some reason, he would still go lay his head on her lap, and she was trifling. I'm talking about trifling. Emphasis on the trifling. How many of you know it's a tragic thing to lay your head on the wrong lap? But he would have to say, ultimately, that he was following his heart. Only in the word of God is there a line drawn. For in Luke 6 and 45, it reads, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So from here, we know that the heart is an incredibly powerful thing. We have to make sure that it's in the right place. But I'll make it easy for you. It's never a good idea to follow your heart 
when it leads you outside of the will of the Lord or his purpose for you, or his purpose for you. I'll say it again. It is never a good idea to follow your heart when it leads you outside of the will of the Lord or his purpose for your life. Amen. Now, David, the writer of our text this morning, was seen as one of the greatest heroes and figures in the Bible. We know the story. His narrative starts off with him being the outcast son of Jesse in the fields of his father watching the sheep. When Samuel came with instructions from God to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the new king of Israel, Jesse didn't even call David in from the fields. But David killed a lion. We all know that he killed a bear. David killed a giant. He had a flawless battle record. Victory after victory. He saw God work miracle after miracle, and he himself established Israel as a true player in the political and military landscape of that part of the world in his time. He made Israel legit when it came down to it. No hero of the Bible is seen as more courageous and successful as King David. But no hero of the Bible is seen as more human, more flawed. One day, instead of being out on the battlefield fighting the enemies of God's people, David was at home taking it easy in the palace from, and from his balcony one day when he was in the rear with the gear instead of being out on the front fighting with his men, he saw a beautiful young woman named Bathsheba bathing on the roof of her house. Now what she was doing on the roof of her house bathing in plain sight of the king's balcony, we'll never know, but there she was. Hmm. <laughs> King David saw her and decided in his heart that he had to have her. But there was a problem. Not only was she not his wife, but she was married to one of his most loyal elite officers, one of his mighty men named Uriah the Hittite. Now Uriah was off on the field of battle where David the king was supposed to be at that moment. But hey, the heart wants what the heart wants, right? So he has her brought to him in his palace, and he takes her into his bed. But soon after he gets what he wants, his heart moves out the way, and his head takes over, and he realizes at that point that he has a problem. You see, Bathsheba is pregnant from the time that they spent together, and he knows that this won't go over well with his men or with the rest of his kingdom. It doesn't do good for morale when the king that you're all fighting for is at home sleeping with your wife. 
So he figures out a plan to cover up what he did. In his heart, he devised a plan. He summons Uriah from the field of battle for some mundane reason and tells him to go spend some time at home and be with his wife, hoping that he would get, you know, be with lay with Bathsheba and, you know, she could say that she got pregnant from, you know, that encounter. But instead, Uriah being a man of honor, stays with his men because he didn't feel right that he should be able to enjoy the comforts of his home and the pleasures of his wife while his men and other brothers in arms were fighting and dying on the battlefield. He needed to stay focused. He needed to stay sharp. So instead of going home to be with his wife, Uriah stayed in the kingdom's battlements in the barracks with his men. David got the word, you know, Uriah ain't going home to be with Bathsheba. You know, he's staying, you know, in the battlements. David is like, I'm not going to do, I'm not this, I got this man's wife pregnant. What am I going to do? So David, in his desperation, sends Uriah back to the battlefield with carrying special sealed orders that said to the commander to dispatch Uriah to the most fierce area of fighting and then pull all support away from him, thus ensuring his death in battle, thus killing him and possibly his whole unit that could piece together what had happened and effectively covering his transgression. He had Uriah and probably those with him killed to cover up what he had done in his heart. Now, it wasn't until Nathan, the prophet of God, outed him and his baby with Bathsheba died, that he realized the extent of his sin and the pain and the guilt that he had caused. And he cried out to God for forgiveness, screaming the word of our text this morning, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. He goes on to say, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David was crying out to God to forgive him, to cleanse him, to create in him a clean heart because of, of himself, he couldn't do it on his own. He was crying out for a spiritual heart transplant. Mm. How many of us even here today have done something that we knew was wrong? and we couldn't figure out why we did it. We are all in need 
of a heart transplant. It should be what we all want. Some of us here try to act like our heart is just fine and that we, we don't need any work done on our hearts. We try to act like we can do all of the work on ourselves, but I have never heard of a patient performing their own heart transplant. Psalms 51 and 7, King David cries, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Mm. I picture right there, I picture Lady Deandra washing Charles and Julian in a basin when they were little babies, just a little bit bigger than a shoebox. The care and thoroughness and gentleness that she would put into making sure that they were completely clean. She would take just such care and she would just be so thorough making sure every bit of dirt was taken off of them. That's what David was crying for God to do with his own heart. That should be our prayer. That is my prayer every day to create in me a clean heart, oh God. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And guess what, beloved? That's exactly what he wants to do. Amen. Let's give him praise on today. We need it. He wants to do it. Hey. He wants to bring about a change of heart in each and every one of us here. He wants to give us all a heart transplant. Praise the Lord that he wants to give us all a new heart on this morning. Hallelujah. I know it's not easy to hear, but you know what you need. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but after God creates a clean heart in us, we have to keep it clean. There will still be a war going on inside of your heart. We have to guard our hearts against the things that would seek to steal our joy, to steal our peace. We have to guard our hearts against heart attacks of a different type. Our beautiful sister, I don't know if she's here today, but uh, Sister Brenda Brown, are you here in the house of the Lord on today? Well, Sister Brenda Brown gave a testimony just a couple weeks ago on Mother's Day about how she had a literal heart transplant just 20 years ago and has been going strong and protecting her heart ever since. When you get a heart transplant, you just can't go back into eating and doing whatever it was you used to do. You have to take care of your heart. You have to guard your heart. And that's exactly what we have to do when God gives us a clean heart. Amen. But in Proverbs 4 and 23, it says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. We have to do like Psalms 1 and 19 and 11 where it says, your word have I hidden in my heart 
that I might not sin against you. After he cleans your heart and gives you a new heart, you have to hide your word, his word, in it. We have to renew the mind daily. I'm trying to tell you how to protect and guard your heart after the Lord cleans it. In Romans 12 and 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of your heart that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hebrews 10 and 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Psalm 19 and 18. It was just so beautifully sung by our music department. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Psalm 119 and 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies and who seek him with the whole heart. How do we guard our heart? We have to seek him. We have to fill our heart. Hallelujah. We have to meditate on him. Psalms 119 and 10, with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. We have to seek him with our whole heart. Let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. Let this heart that was in Christ Jesus be in you. In Luke 10 and 27, Jesus covered everything when he answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. Whatever designation you put in the heart, he covered all of that. Your heart, soul, mind, strength, body, mind, all of that. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's how you guard your heart, my brothers and sisters. That is how you make it stronger. We'll call it spiritual calisthenics to make a newly transformed heart stronger. Now, of course, we are all fearfully and wonderfully made, and there has never been and will never be another you, even at this point. But without a new heart being created in you, you run the risk of living an empty life and dying a pointless death like so many that have gone into eternity before you never realizing who God truly made them to be. This is of critical importance to everyone here. We don't have the music going on and we're not dancing around because I need for you to listen to every word that I am saying to you. We're talking about your eternity here. We're talking about your life here. And this is not something that you can dance through. This is something we need for you to keep with you during the week. Keep with you in your life. You need to let him create a clean heart in you so you can realize who you truly are. 
Let him give you a new heart. Beloved, we live in an age of unprecedented wealth and knowledge, but no matter how much worldly and scientific knowledge we attain, no matter how much material wealth we amass, there will always be something missing in our heart, something that we are looking for. It was Blaise Pascal who, after a lifetime of achievement, ultimately claimed to came to declare that there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, our creator, made known through Jesus Christ. You need to let him create a clean heart in you so you can find purpose, so you can find meaning in all of this madness that has taken hold of the world. We need a clean heart. Just last week, we saw what can happen when someone lets darkness and hatred come up through their heart. He needed a clean heart. And it's going to take those who are hurting. We are hurting in the midst of all of this pain and the existential reality of what it means to be an African American in this country. We have to understand that God needs to give us a clean heart so that hatred that has been visited upon us will not come back out in another kind of way. Every time I look at the news, the anger raises up inside of me, and I myself have to pray for a clean heart. Lord, create a clean heart in me. You may have more money than you could ever spend, but without God creating a clean heart in you, you'll be following an unfulfilled heart to a destination that falls far short of the future that our creator has in mind for you. Mm. I look at my friend and brother, Brother Irvin Magic over there, and I look at the greatness that God has done through his life, how he stepped into his purpose, not only as a, one of the most best basketball players that we've ever seen, but someone who is letting the Lord use him to make the world a brighter place. The basketball career was just the beginning. But through that, God has used the Johnson family to make the world a better place, an example of what it means to walk in your purpose. Amen. But the beautiful thing in all of this, beloved, is that God loves us with all of his heart. We haven't talked about the heart of God yet. There is nothing but love in God's heart towards us. He says in Jeremiah 29 and 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. To give you a purpose. 1 Timothy 2 and 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires that all men, that everyone be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is what God wants. This is what's inside of 
God's heart. Romans 8 and 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, somebody give praise that this is what is inside the heart of God towards you. For God so loved the world it gets no better than that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I know this was a tough one. Everyone stand up on this morning. Hallelujah. 